As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, sportsman drag racers, the strip teaser, and the Saturday Night Hooker, Big Jed. How are you? Luke, I am well. I am uh, super excited about this show because it's it's got uh, a topic that's uh, really fun and got the whole racing world jacked, and that's the dream team. And, you know, I'm literally, I don't know if I'm 30 minutes right now where I sit, from leaving for the dream team, which this is Wednesday night, or if I'm just a few hours, I haven't decided yet if I'm just fixing to jump in the motorhome head that way, or if I'm going to wait and go tomorrow morning, but I'm pumped. And, uh, I think that'll, that'll be evident throughout the show as we discuss it, but we've got other great stuff to talk about as well. So ready, just ready to get to it, man, get to Holly Springs. Yeah. We, we preview on today's episode, one of I think the most anticipated, one of the most entertaining events of the year, that being the Dream Team Challenge, where you're headed, Holly Springs, Mississippi. Uh, Before we get to that, we look back on the week that was heavy emphasis on the TB Promotions $50,000 race up in Ohio. Talk uh, a lot of things surrounding that event. Uh, A little bit of NHRA action in Virginia and Great Bend, and then again, wrap up the show with uh, I guess a, a little insight as to what's going on with your defending top ball dream team champion big Jed team bad guys <laughs> and uh, and just a lot of fun around the build-up to that event so look forward to that and more but first PJ no <laughs> 
here is that moment to go green, hit the tree, and drive a stripe just like you know. Hi, Luke. There's a lot on the table this week. We, we've got race results to talk about, and we've got um, races that we're going to preview, which, I mean, I think everybody knows what's on the, what's on the horizon here, so that's going to be fun to talk about. But let's start out with TB Promotions. Uh, Tyler Bohannon, Brian Whitworth, those guys uh, with their 50K over the weekend and some really – common names battling it out for this 50 grand. I don't, did you get to watch much of this? Did you see the the quarterfinals, the last eight? I did not. I, for whatever reason, I actually tuned in and watched the late round Sunday, but it was complete. I was racing Saturday. So I was out of the loop Saturday. What happened in the quarters? Well, it was, you know, it was uh, Donovan Williams, Gary Williams. It was Matt Dattis. It was Jeff Sarah. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. What was still remaining there, who was still remaining and how common it is to see those guys in the late rounds of such a, you know, important, high paying, prestigious event. But, uh, it, you know, it's just how do those guys continue to do it? It's interesting. We have these discussions semi-regularly within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, Jed, in a, in a day and age where I think we would all agree parity is at its highest, margin for error is at its slimmest. You would think that you would see more variety in the winner's circle. And I think <clears throat> by and large we do. The exception to that rule seems to be the biggest of the big events, which again, you would think that that same thing would hold true. And yet, if in any field, particularly, I think when it's in this day and age, $50,000 or more to win in any field of two to 400, I'm fairly confident that if you say you and I, Jed, we could pick out two dozen names, I'd say like, Eight times out of ten, one of the winners will be the two dozen we picked out. I, I think you're spot on with that. And you know, so what what differentiates that group from the crowd? Like in this day and age, I think the vast majority of competitors in that field are running with relatively equal equipment. Like I think probably 90 plus percent of the cars there are capable of winning the race. And I would argue that we're mainly working from the same skill set when you get to that level. Like I think every 90% of the racers are capable of being double O and dead on or being double O take double O. Like I don't think there's a great discrepancy in, in overall skill. Like you're the how good is your good at that level? I think everybody's good is pretty top notch. Yeah. The difference between the Jeff Sarahs, the Matt Dattises, the, the Williams family is the ability to do it round after round after round, seemingly without a conscience. And I, I argue and have argued for years, I think that's all mental, like that is complete mindset. And, and I think it can be trained. I, I think Jeff Sarah is proof that it can be trained. Um, because I think this is something that he has consciously worked at for over a decade. And, and that probably holds true for every name that, that we would put on that list of two dozen. But I don't know, you, you may have pushback on this. I think that the difference is completely between the years. I couldn't agree more. I think that's spot on, 100% correct. And, and I 
think one of our most recent big time winners, which that was Donovan Williams, won the hundred grander at Montgomery. I think he alluded to that. He he said it in his interview. You know, I, I've just had to, I've I've won some races and had to convince myself that I could do this. And you know, he's obviously done well. Hasn't won another big race after that, but he will soon, I'm sure. And he was in position to win this 50k. And I really think you're right, Luke. I think it's a mental thing, and these guys have to convince themselves that this really can happen. And once they do it, actual actually get the results and win, or certainly allow themselves to believe that they can compete. I think it changes the game quite a bit. And the the aforementioned finalists uh, have definitely done their share of it as that uh, Matt ass and uh, Jeff Sarah go to the final for 50k uh, there at the TV promotions event and Matt Dadis comes up the champion $50,000 over arguably the the most consistent winner in the last um, 16 18 months and that's Jeff Sarah so huge win there for Matt uh, really good to see that guy win uh, certainly uh, nothing against Jeff, Sarah. Um, like to see Jeff win as well, but Matt's just one of those guys that, you know, he's, he's always happy, always smiling and always uh, up for a conversation with you and just a genuine dude that, that you certainly don't mind seeing get these big wins like this, but that was an all-star field and a definitely an all-star final. Yeah, as, as we've talked about before, I think Matt is one of the, the easiest consistent winners to root for, like just a super likable guy. I don't think it hurts that he's driving a door car. I think it's easier for most of us to root for the door car too. Right? Yeah. I, now, given his level of equipment, I, I don't think that that's any disadvantage, but it's still a, the perception is that, you know, the, I, I think even to this day that, that dragsters are quote unquote supposed to win those races. So I think that plays into it as well, but yeah. Um, good to see a couple of new faces in the final for 50, um, you know, that us and Sarah, um, that was obviously the highlight of a, of a, a what four day long event there at Killcare, which Killcare, by the way, too, I think I said this a year ago, it's funny how we transition like facility wise and, and, different facilities kind of had their heyday. Like, I think it's fair to say right now that for a racetrack that doesn't host a, you know, a million dollar race, it feels like Killcare is almost like the hub of big dollar bracket racing. I mean, there is, there's like eight major events there every season. Yes, yeah, definitely a track that has uh, gotten on the radar for promoters and racers. Um, and certainly is, uh, is hosting some major events on the, the sportsman and bracket racing landscape. So uh, it is interesting how uh, we, we transition from certain tracks to certain tracks and, and they get hot for us, but Kilcare is definitely one of those for sure. Yeah, I guess Kilcare and, and it feels like Montgomery now is on the, on the come up. You know, if you said, what's the, what's the preeminent big dollar bracket racing facility today, I, I feel like it's those two. Um, I don't know. Did, we, we talked about our number last week. Was Killcare on your list? You ever been there? I've not been to Killcare. No, I went uh, for my first time last year. We actually did a an Elite Fest live event there, and then I stuck around for uh, for Disco Dean and Josh Morgan's uh, Boo Banger. The Boo Banger. Yes, I, I remember that. Boo yeah, and had a blast. Like that place reminds me a lot of the track that I grew up at, and it's 
I think I mentioned it last week when we did track talk, like it's one of those facilities that really endears itself to me because it's, it's got a lot of history. It's been there forever and yet it's been really well kept. And so it has that, that feel of a, an old timey racetrack, but with all the amenities of new, like it's, it's a cool spot to have an event like that. And I would assume uh, not, you know, not having my promoter hat on here. Like I would assume it comes at a, at a price tag on a promoter end, like much lower than say some of the mega facilities. So that's probably the reasoning and it's in a really good location. So. Yeah, you would think so. Uh, there's, there's obviously some things behind the scenes and, and I imagine the, the staff there must be relatively easy to work with because people continue to go back. Promoters continue to go back there as well. But as you mentioned, the 50 K was the highlight of the weekend loop. Uh, Matt Dadis over Jeff Sarah. Uh, they had some uh, a couple of 10K races outside of that uh, on Sunday, the wrap-up day. Jeffrey Jr. got the win over George Atchison, and um, he took home the final baseball bat and trophy of the weekend. I did see uh, Matt Dadis uh, baseball bat. I didn't realize that was one of the trophies or or kind of uh, you know one of the the winner's perks. That was really cool that those guys got that. Got you a Louisville uh, slugger. Yeah, that was a really good idea and and, and neat thing. Uh, they started their weekend out or week out with a 3K warm-up on Thursday where Ryan Butler got the win over J.P. Schuster, a couple of Ohio um, heavy hitters there getting the final round in that Thursday warm-up. And um, Friday's 10K, Luke, was Bill Webb over uh, Brian Lampton. And Bill did that in a 480 door car, uh, which you don't see very often. So that uh, pegs the cool meter when you when you got a ride like that. So good for Bill. That was a it was a really big win, and we know Lampton's tough. He don't uh, travel a whole bunch, but he's in his home state there and took Bill to the final round. Bill got the win. That was uh, it was good to see. Yeah, in this day and age, like we don't really bat an eye at 480s. 480s after you shut the door, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, you go 480s and you crawl over the side, but it's yeah, it's still not the a, same. Right. It's still like a door car, but you just don't shut the door behind you. Yeah, I, I got the open air, but all the other challenges I think are similar. But yeah, the it for anything when when you don't burn across the starting line, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, real cool, uh, Luke. So you know, it's 480 door car wins. Um, there's a lot of dragsters. There were other fast cars there, but there was uh, maybe a touch of controversy around this event. Uh, I didn't really hear anything about it until kind of late Sunday is mm-hmm. when I started seeing some inklings about this issue, but there were some discussions about track conditions and I've, I've seen nothing but good in previous events from the folks at Killcare and and how great they take care of the the racing surface, but they were not necessarily in control of this. I know you know a little bit about this. Yeah, no, I mean this was a this was a mass traction event, and and to that point, I've heard very little negative about Brandon Mass and, and mass traction. So it, it seems odd when you put those two together for this to for there to be any chatter around this and. It is my understanding that this wasn't necessarily a, a, a week-long issue. I, I Like I said, I, I tuned in late Sunday, and it was pretty apparent just watching on the live feed, like, this looks a little sketchy, you know, the, the, the late rounds on, on Sunday. Um, 
so I don't know what the situation there or who's to blame or if it was as, as quote unquote bad as it looked, obviously there were some cars going right down the racetrack and that is ultimately where I fall on, on this. I think we've had this conversation before Jed, but uh, I feel like it is the responsibility of the racetrack and, or the promoter to provide a safe and competitively fair racing surface. It is not the responsibility of the promoter and or the racetrack to provide a perfect racing surface, nor can that be expected. And to this, to my point, there were cars going down without issue. Um, if there are cars that can go down a racetrack, like I feel like as a racer, you ultimately need to bear that responsibility and figure out how to get your car down the racetrack, right? Uh, that's where I always fall on that. Now that said, Again, this is just me watching uh, online and, and I have zero, for as long as I've raced, you would think I would have a better working knowledge of ac what actually makes a racetrack work. I know nothing about prepping track, nothing, right? I, I know how it feels to go down. That's it. Um, but with that said, the impression that I got of Sunday evening was that track conditions were at the very worst mediocre to 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 fine, to excellent throughout the weekend. And then suddenly cars that had made multiple runs down the track on the weekend with zero issue, now we're having issue, right? And that's when it, you kind of, it, it's on that fine line of then becoming a competitive imbalance, right? What changed, what happened? So that part is unfortunate, but ultimately I'll, I'll go back to my original thought that like, it's not, I, as a racer, I don't look at it as the racetracks responsibility to get me down a racetrack i got to figure out how to navigate the course so that's yeah i, I definitely feel the same way but and I, I will be honest i've been the other guy prior to putting on races um and then you know i you know i put on races at bristol every year have for 15 going on 16 years now and i get someone every year that says hey man you know you guys gonna do something with this racetrack it's not very good and you know, I, I try to politely point out, um, you know, the, the cars that are winning, they're typically doing it very well. And, and I understand it's not a perfect racing surface. And a lot of times it's, it's well short of that, but at the same time doing that and putting on races has put me on the other side of the fence where I, I would never go to a promoter anymore. I would definitely go to the fence first. And if cars like mine or anywhere close to mine are going down the racetrack, then I certainly feel like I need to, to get a little better program under mine to, to try to get me there. But that's a, that's a thing that drag racers just aren't accustomed to, Luke. making adjustments to the chassis and trying to, to adapt your car to a different kind of surface is a, is a challenge. It, it takes a little bit of knowledge and experience and we all don't possess that. So I understand both sides of it. I really do. But obviously when you bring in folks like mass traction, you have a, an intent to make things as good as you can possibly make them. And that is typically what you get out of mass traction. We were, we were there with your buggy going down a, a 30 something degree racetrack and it was going straight down. They were setting it on fire and doing all kind of crazy stuff. So, you know, these guys know the, the game well and they do a really good job, but the chatter uh, was a little more than I 
really ever anticipated seeing. And when there's enough of that, obviously there's a there's an issue that that must have got away from somebody. But I don't think there's a there's a surface problem there. It must have just been some combination that got missed. Yeah, agreed. I, I'm. I, there's one other place that I want to go with this discussion before we transition away from the the TV promotions 50k, and I'm I'm a little bit hesitant to even go down this road, Jed, because where on the excitement meter, like where does this register for you? If I say, "Hey, so and so is bringing out their new dragster," oh man, that's uh, you know, if it's a scale of one to ten, that's that's easily in the upper uh, zero point something's for me it's, it's, it's very close to one Luke it's I'm I, super excited about those I think that's the way most of us feel outside of it being like our car or our buddy's car like it's just it's a freaking dragster right but there were there were two debuts at kill care that I think are are notable yes I guess for the the individual cars themselves but also for what they the impact that they could have on the the dragster market, so to speak. The first of which, Nick Folk rolled out Folk Race Cars 1. This is something that they're doing in-house, right? Built their first dragster. And the reason that I say that I I, I feel like this uh, has the potential to significantly impact the market. First, Nick and his family, obviously very well respected. Um, Second, Nick's going to be driving one of the cars that gains attention. And it is my understanding. uh, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here that there will be several well-known drivers competing in folk race cars soon. I'm of the understanding that the Williams brothers have some coming. I believe that the Cummings have some coming. I think Ryan Harum has one on order. Uh, You know, it, it may be beginning of next year before these all are on the racetrack, but that's enough of a clientele right there to say, oh, you know, like this is Nick and and the folk family are are going to are serious about this and are going to be a player in this market to the extent that they want to be. That would be hard to deny because a, I think it's fair to say they're going to build quality equipment and B um, even if it's, if they didn't build quality equipment with that roster of drivers, probably going to have some, some level of success. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I, I do think that that presents the, the potential for a bit of a shakeup perhaps in the, in the, the hierarchy, if you will, of that, that dragster market today, uh, that's been, you know, relatively stagnant now for a few years. And then the second debut that I think probably got a little bit more notoriety was, um, Donnie Burleson debuting the first customer owned, um, Chromeworks ultra car. And this is obviously we're familiar with Chromeworks and what John Parks has done shoot for the last decade plus there of just building the super assembling the super high end dragsters for, for, for a very specific, very um, small, if you will, portion of our market. Well, John went it's about a year ago now um, basically designed his own chassis and is building these cars from start to finish in house. He did one for himself that he debuted last season, pro charger setup, went super fast, basically proved that he could do that. Uh, and then Burleson debuted the first, you know, non house car at Killcare. And obviously if you've seen the pictures on Facebook, the car is as immaculate as you would picture, right? Anything that's come out of that shop over the last decade is, is very much an attention getter, attention to detail off the charts. Um, but obviously a little bit of 
something to prove there in, in being their own chassis, right? That's, that's a new, fairly untested design. Burleson, I, I, I believe he tested early in the week. I don't know exactly what he did in the days leading up to, but when I tuned in on Sunday, he had that brand new car in the semifinals of that 10 grander. So I don't, among the two, Jed, I tend to think from what I know at this point, like the overall impact on the dragster market, I think the folk race cars is, is going to make a dent there. Whereas the, the ultra cars, there is absolutely 100% a market for that. It's obviously a very high end, very expensive. Like there is a, a limited clientele that wants that car. But I think John Parks has proven now for over a decade that that market is there and is very much supportive of, of what he's doing and very loyal to, to that. So I think that they're both going to have tremendous success. I just thought it was interesting that they both hit the track uh, with car one essentially at the same time. Yeah, very interesting. And, you know, I, I, I said what I said about the, the you know, the excitement meter uh, not getting pegged for new dragsters. But all kidding aside, those Chrome Works cars are incredible. I have looked at them. I've looked at Donnie Burleson's equipment um, for a while now. And, you know, these, these guys are doing something very special. It is uh, niche, as you would say. It's unique. It's it's definitely not for everyone because it comes at a price, but you know, it's, it's a market where it's very hard to differentiate yourself from everybody else. And they found a way to do that uh, significantly. So I expect that to, to get a lot of attention and, and certainly, you know, the, the people that are capable of purchasing something like that will because uh, they're, they're about as perfect as you get. Now, for, for Nick Folk and the folks at Folk Race Cars, I, I said folk a lot right there. but That was a lot uh, of folks. That was a lot of folks. And when you got folks like uh, the Williams brothers and Ryan Harum and the Cummings uh, wanting your equipment and your chassis, that's going to lead to a lot of success uh, down the road for uh, people not named Harum and Williams and Cummings, too. That That's going to lead to a lot of orders from those people. So... You know, hey, you don't you don't have to to look super close at a folk race car. Um, you know, from a attention to detail standpoint, they're excellent. They do a really good job on everything they work on and, and build. You can watch these cars go down the racetrack and uh, they're as competitive and as good as anything on the market. So be interesting to see um how many of these guys can produce. You know, I don't know what the staff level is and uh, what the capacity is for building these cars but it'd be interesting to see how many they can put out because i would uh, just about guarantee whatever that number is uh, they'll reach that each and every year with their with their manufacturing process so uh, definitely looking forward I, I did not see the folk race car so i'm looking forward to seeing those in person and uh, those are smart guys those folk guys they're really smart so i would bet there's something in there it's a little bit different too that that makes their car unique as well again in a market it's hard to be unique so be interesting looking forward to it one other thing that caught my attention uh from the weekend at, at kilker before we move on a we saw this we've we've seen this trend uh we talked about it a little bit following spring fling vegas uh tyler and and brian capitalized on this yet again like the 
the production value of all of these live feed events just continues to go up. I, I don't remember the the name of the the gentleman or the 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 company that uh, they had helping produce that, but they had a lot of on-site interviews, like just a lot of entertainment uh, in between rounds. And they did some some in-car stuff. And the one that jumped out to me that went semi-viral, there's in-car footage from Jeg Coughlin Jr. driving the Jeg's wagon. Did you happen to catch the the in-car like elimination round with Jeg? I most certainly did. And it was freaking awesome. I've watched it like 20 times over. We're actually in the process of, of, of detailing every, every movement of, of Jeg's routine within this is bracket racing elite, because like, there's so much there. Right. And it's so cool. And I guess maybe rare to, to get that kind of personal in-car view of, of someone of that quality, especially. And you can just imagine like everything that he does, I would assume is extremely regimented and it's the same round after round after round. And to just kind of pick that apart and think about why he does what he does pretty cool stuff. But by far the one thing that jumped out to me over everything else, Jed, that is the most baller nitrous button ever. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. You know, typically you're using that part of the steering wheel to tell someone to, to get the heck out of the way, uh, but he's using it to get the heck out of the way. So <laughs> it was good for, stuff. For years, we've said, hey, I laid, laid on the horn, got on the nitrous. Well, Jeg is legit laying on the horn <laughs> to give it the wiggle. It's the yeah. coolest thing ever. I, w- I just, I wish I had been on the premises when he and or Kenny Underwood dreamt that up. I have no idea what went into that thought process, but it was cool. Nice work, guys. That had to be Kenny. No offense to Jeggy. Uh, Jeggy's cool. He, he comes up with cool stuff. But I'm thinking that was Kenny. That's yeah. got to be skinny. That said, <laughs> man, we need a, and it's a big button too. You know, that center of that horn, that thing was kind of big. It's full on horn button. Right. Yeah. It's easy to find. You know, it's not, <laughs> it's not that little button. It's hard to find that little spot. So it was cool stuff. And uh, he gave her a little, little squirt, a couple of squirts there and, uh, and dropped it. So it was a cool video and, uh, and, whoever come up with that and decided to do that. <laughs> Great idea. 100%. All right. NHRA tour made its way to Virginia for the first time in three years, big Jed, uh, that, uh, that VMP got to host a national event. And I'll just say like <laughs> the minute I saw the forecast, man, I, I was feeling for Tommy Franklin and Tyler Crosno and the gang at, at Virginia Motorsports Park because for, for reasons outside of their control, they have not gotten to host a national event in three years. And, and I would just assume there are, there are other income generating events, certainly for a facility like that, perhaps the, even that, that exceed the income generation that comes from an national event. But I would have to assume that is the marquee event on the calendar, if not one of the top couple. And to have that stripped away a couple of years in a row. And then when you do get to have it, like they had a week's worth of rain. And I think the forecast was even worse than what actually happened. So I felt bad for those guys. They looked rough. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable how uh, bad their luck has been, uh, you know, in the last 24 months when I've kept a decent eye on it, it's just, and it rains there without even being in the forecast or, or on the radar. It's like, where'd this rain come from? And it's just, those guys get seem, seemingly get dealt the most difficult blows 
in racing and they work so hard and you know they they did a great job just getting done what they got done in this event it was it was a challenge for sure and tyler and his team worked extremely hard i, I saw his uh i saw his uh post of appreciation for his staff and the hard work they put in and you know i know it's disappointing to battle that but you know the winners in life just get the best result possible that's when you're dealt difficult blows and challenges the winners get the best result possible and those guys definitely got the best results possible so hats off to them from a, an income generation standpoint obviously the the weather and its impact on the on the spectator crowd is the biggest concern but i thought it was interesting and something else that i, I wanted to touch on here you have to decide whether or not to to enter in an HRA national event at the bare minimum, the Monday of the event. And, and typically the, the classes fill up, you have to enter prior to that. But if you're not going, you have to pull out by Monday at noon. And it was given the forecast, it was a mass exodus over the weekend and, and Monday morning leading up to this national event from the sportsman competitors specifically. Like, I don't remember a national event in recent history having, I don't know, I think stock eliminator went six rounds. So stock eliminator had over 32 entries and barely, I think it might have 35, 36. No other class had over 32. Like it was an abysmal turnout. Again, all weather related a, a week prior, all of those classes were full or near full. And it just got me to thinking big Jed, like in this day and age, in this economy that we're in, or, or I think specifically with the, the, the price of travel, is it fair to say that this could be, we could look at this as a microcosm of what to expect this season in terms of, I think, given the cost of attendance, that weather probably not so much the weather that happens, but the weather that is forecasted impacts car counts in more, far more dramatic ways than we have seen in maybe our lifetime. Luke, there is absolutely zero doubt that it is um, definitely a, a, a picture of what we're going to see a lot of um, in current times, current economic times where, where fuel prices are so high. Um, Jake Hodge had a difficult forecast for for his uh, uh, working man, 10 grand, had 511 entries last year, uh, had 192 this year. He put the event on, guaranteed purse, paid every penny of it. He, he did a, a, you know, as good a job for the racers as you could possibly do. Um, we, uh, we definitely saw it here with the NHRA side. You know, it, they're, they're not uh, immune to it, although, their average customers probably financially pretty strong. Um, they're still not immune to today's economic conditions. So yeah, that's we're going to continue to see that at events. And you know, this is not something I even like to talk about. But if if I can be as transparent as I as I possibly can here, you know, I got an event coming up. June the 30th through July the 3rd with a big guaranteed purse at Bristol Dragway, which is a fairly expensive place to have a race. And, you know, it's going pretty well. Pre-entries are coming along and, and things are looking pretty good. I think it's going to be a really strong crowd, but I, 
I feel like we're one bad forecast away from, you know, having a, a, a serious financial setback. So, yeah, it's any promoter with guaranteed purse um, and, and several days of racing in front of them is probably on edge a little bit. And it's for dang good reason. Yeah, and I think from a racer standpoint, like completely justifiable, right? Like it's it's going to cost me twice as much to get to the racetrack as it as it did a year ago in a lot of cases. And <clears throat> so, I mean, forgive me for saying what's obvious, you know, from a from a racing perspective, from a from a financial perspective, the racing that we do has probably never made any sense. It makes less sense now. And I think it's it's fair to step back and and question the justification for going to to certain events, right? And then particularly, I think when we do make the decision to go, now more so than ever, it is rooted in like, I'm going to go enjoy this. I'm going to go have fun. Like, I don't really care what it costs, right? And to that point, um, if the forecast is for four days of rain and you're going to be sitting in the mud, like, that doesn't sound very fun, right? So why do I want to do this? So yeah. (laughs) Well, I think as, you know, as promoters, we have to look at our event and try to make it something that they just can't do any other time. You know, you, you got to give them something that they can't go to. They can go to another NHRA race and race stock and super stock. Um, They can go, you know, race another 10 grander on the top or whatever somewhere in a week or two. So you got to give them something they can't do. And the, the dream team's a prime example of that. Yeah. Good uh, mm-hmm. It's, it, it's something that they just can't do any other time. And the, the, the FOMO in all of us is saying, even if there's a chance of rain, I'm going. Cause you know, my, my thoughts are they're going to figure out how to get it in and I don't want to miss that. So uh, as promoters, I think we have to, to continue to work hard and, and try to give them something that they just can't get anywhere else. And, That'll sway uh, some of the people that that might back out to come. So, um, to answer the, the original question, though, yeah, that's that's what twenty twenty two and possibly beyond is going to look like. Once they got on the racetrack in Virginia, and it turned out, I think Sunday was a <clears throat> Chamber of Commerce type day. They got all the racing in on Sunday. Actually, finished on on schedule. wasn't much on schedule up to that point. Uh, but once once they went down the racetrack, some familiar names once again in the winner's circle. Standouts for me, competition eliminator, David Eaton got the win, continues to roll. And I think um, at this point, it's fair to say, like, stakes his claim to, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to crown him national champion in May, but it's definitely stakes his claim to a legit title contention season. This was his second national event win of the year, <clears throat> in addition to the Gator Nationals, his third win overall. And he's uh, got three wins, one runner-up through five races. Pretty solid start. Not too bad, Luke. Uh, that's uh, that's a really strong start for David. And that's a that is a class where you can get on a roll. You know, you're when you're hitting the tree well, and your stuff will will reach a certain level under your index. You're really hard to beat in competition eliminator. So David, uh, David obviously is, is doing that right now. And I'm sure we'll continue. Another marquee performer from Virginia. No surprise here. 
John LaBeouf Jr., Super Comp winner on the heels of his Super Comp runner up in Charlotte. And little John, again, no surprise, but nasty box score. Uh, it was only five rounds to get through Super Comp, but he lit it up double O something on the tree every round to the final where he was, you know, late by his standards at 17. And it nearly wasn't good enough. Debbie Moses put down a solid lap. I think she was double O and 89.7. Little John dropped out of there after the 17, went 93, got the win um, adds to, to his trophy case. And I think the takeaway here, we had, we had alluded to this in an earlier episode, and I know it's very early, but that super comp points chase, big Jed a year ago, it was the top 10 was a who's who of not just super comp of drag racing. And it's setting up to be that style of bloodbath again with, with back-to-back finals. Now, John LaBoost Jr. Puts his name in the ring. Uh, we've talked about the stellar season that Jim Glenn has had to this point. Christopher Dodd, until he doesn't win the national championship, he's obviously a contender, if not the favorite, and he started off hot as well. So those three alone are probably the, the biggest names. And even beyond that, there are several racers in Supercomp that are already putting together incredible early season resumes. Whether it's Holden Larice, Allison McCone, Dan Foley, Michael Holcomb, like it's going to take, I'll say 650 points to win super comp. And it's going to come from someone that we would expect to score six. six I can't even talk. It's going to come from someone that we would expect to put up a 650 point total. Uh, it's going to be really fun to watch as the season draws on. Well, I can't remember a time in recent years when super comp wasn't fun to watch. Like it's just a, such a competitive category with great racers and great equipment and, people that you know get to the the amount of races that they need to get to to compete for the championship so um surprise surprise you know and there there's still those names that that i'm sure are, are lurking out there i haven't looked at the points anything like you have but you know the the ray rays and and sherman adcox and the list goes on and on and on i'm sure you know we'll we'll have their stake in the game at some point as well. So that's super comps always fun to watch and looking forward to seeing that uh, continue down this bloodbath path that it's on or stays on seemingly. A couple other notable results from Virginia, former NHRA world champion, Brian Warner gets the win in super stock. Chad trailer, big Jed. Flavor, Flav. Yeah, Chad boy. trailer goes back to back. Kind of. In Top Dragster, I mentioned Virginia Motorsports Park had not hosted their national event since 2019. So I don't know if you can go back to back three years apart, but that's what Chad Trailer did. He won his first NHRA national event in Top Dragster at that facility the last time they had this race. He won his second national event once again at VMP, once again in Top Dragster. So kind of back to back. That's back to back as it gets. I mean, that's as that's as back to back as you can be in that facility. So that's a yeah, that's, you you couldn't absolutely. win one in between. You could not. And uh, good to see Chad out doing it too. Uh, you know, Chad, Chad has uh, gone in spurts a little bit here where he, uh, he doesn't compete much. So great to see my boy Flav getting back after it and uh, defending his previous top dragster title, which was, as you mentioned, three years ago, but it was the last time. So it's back to back. Jeff Longany got his first win in stock limiter. And I was kind of shocked to read that. Like that seems like a name synonymous with success has had a lot of success within division two has won uh, several 
NHRA Lucas Oil Series events. This was his first national event. And in the process of doing that, he kept Wallace Dent from pulling the Flavor Flav. Wallace Dent won Stock Eliminator at this event in 2019. He was one round away from the three years separated back-to-back. Uh, Jeff Longany kept him from doing that. And you know, I'm a fan of the box score, Big Jed. Longany put up a box score. Like if you're going to win your first national event, that's a way to do it in style right there. Yeah, it was excellent. You know, uh, aside from the the uh, 29, well, I see the 25 in the final. But, I mean, 29 being your worst hit, that's really, really strong hitting the bottom bulb and, you know, a car that goes 10.50. So, but you're talking about a guy that does it very, very well. This this person, this young man made a perfect run many years ago at the WFC uh, a long time ago. So, um you know, he's a, he's a talented, talented racer. So no surprise there. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, it, it's kind of cool when you look at it, that the B stock automatic car was dial 1048 and the C stock automatic car was dial 1068. That's kind of the gap that's, that's about between those categories. So these are two, um, pretty, pretty good hot rods getting after it. And, um, you know, Wallace trying to get that again, kind of back to back and long and he, Getting his first win, Luke, again, was a surprise to me. I, I, if you told me he won eight or ten, I would not have tried to argue that with you. So that that is quite a surprise. Other NHRA action from the weekend, the only other NHRA action was the Division 5 opener out in uh, western Kansas. That's at uh, Great Bend, one of the historic facilities on the tour. And I mean, we could talk about a handful of things from Great Bend. I, I think um, Tom Carlson's super gas win is notable because particularly on the divisional uh, level, he's off to a great start. If you're looking for a, um, a, a, a you know, I don't even want to say dark horse, but a, a name that you wouldn't have probably picked at the beginning of the year to contend for the super gas national championship. Tom Carlson's on that list. He's been deep everywhere that he's been now highlighted by the win at his uh, home division opener. Phil Unruh got the win in Super Comp, was his fifth NHRA, the fifth different NHRA category that he's won in at the divisional level. Uh, his second win of the season uh, on the heels of winning Super Gas at, uh, at Vegas earlier this year, and also on the heels of a double at this facility one year ago. Uh, I believe Unruh won Super Gas and Super Stock at Great Bend a year ago. That's essentially home, at least from, a, from an NHRA standpoint, I believe, for Phil. I think he likes the place. Yeah, as he should, <laughs> competing that well. Um, you know, he Phil doesn't get out a whole lot, as you know. Uh, he don't, you know, ride around a whole bunch and and race. So, um, you know, the limited opportunity he gives himself, and then winning at a clip that often at that facility. Yeah, that's he's probably quite in love with it. And it was, I don't have it in front of me. Oh yeah, we do. That when was his twenty first Lucas Oil Series event win? I mean. Phil Unruh is awesome, right? But to your point, at least in the last decade, doesn't race a ton. That seems like a lot of wins. Like, that's a big number. That is a big number. Uh, I am a little surprised by how large that is, uh, just because my knowledge of him is probably the last decade or so. And he's not a guy that that you just see everywhere. So right. um, that's that's winning at a pretty uh, pretty high percentage, high clip. Trivia time. Oh man, I love trivia. Phil Unruh's uh, fifth different NHRA category one when he won Super Comp 
at Great Bend. And just to, to buy you a little bit of time, because I'm sure you know where, where, where we're going. Talk about box scores. Like, I guess this is super comp in this day and age, because we talked about John LaBoose Jr. and what it took for him to win at Virginia. How about Unruh at Great Bend? He turned it loose 13 once. That's the worst he was. Other than that, worst lamp is 10. And it's not like he was perfect. His best is four. Solid window for a six-round race. Really impressive stuff. And went at one of the, the trickiest facilities in the country. I think it's fair to say, if you've ever been to Great Bend, like the wind don't stop blowing. And I think I, think I was looking at uh, top sportsmen qualifying for whatever reason. And I don't know what happened between day one and day two, but I'll take Matt Driscoll as a, as an example. And he's, that's a nitrous assisted car, right? So it shouldn't be as affected by the conditions as everything else from one run to the next Matt picked up like 23 hundreds in a six second top sportsman car. And like the whole field moved two cents. So anyway, my point is it's hard to make great runs at great Ben Phil Unruh, the last three rounds dead on the dial in coupled with those double O lights, pretty, pretty, pretty nasty stuff, pretty unbeatable stuff. So back to the trivia time, big Jed. super comp was the fifth category at which Unruh was one at the NHRA Lucas oil series level. Can you name the other four? Well, you mentioned that earlier that he's one in super stop. I did that, give a couple of, that he did that. I know, uh, Phil has, uh, had quite a bit of trick stuff and quite a bit of fast stuff in his time. I'm going to say Super Street is a category that Phil has won in. Uh, I think if I remember right, Phil had one of those silly fast Super Street cars, like big mile per hour. So I'm going to say that's a category. And I'd have to think Super Gas. I think Phil's had that type of equipment in the past, uh, you know, buggies um, or, you know, maybe even a fast door car of something. So the, the only remaining category, I, I would just lean towards Comp Eliminator because he's had some crazy fast stuff, but I feel like it would probably be Top Sportsman. Okay, you've stumped me. Uh, the trivia time questioner does not have the answer. I thought I did. Um, you're right on Super Street. Like I, I specifically remember him winning a national event in Super Street. I assume he's one on the divisional level too. I didn't think about Super Street. So it's obvious then. <laughs> so you can't prove me wrong. No, I don't. I don't know what the right answer is. I'm glad I brought this <laughs> yeah, up. Nailed it. So, uh, we know that Phil is one in Super Comp, Super Gas, Super Street, Super Stock. That's four, right? Yeah. I didn't think about Super Street and assumed that the other two were top dragster and top sportsman. Now I'm interested because I feel like he should have won in six and the records indicate it was Phil's Facebook post that he's one in five. So he is apparently not one, I guess, in top sportsman, but I thought he had, so I'm wrong somewhere. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, there's that. I don't, I, I'm going to give you the crown because I think you nailed this better than I did. That's awesome. That's like the first time that's ever happened, (laughs) but I'm, I'm infatuated with Phil. So I I love this guy's equipment and stuff. And I've talked about that before when we, when we had our show where we talked about cars, you know, that we would just love to drink. We dream to get in and and make a pass in. And I said pretty much anything Phil Unruh's ever had or built. I would love to make a run in. So, yeah. 100%. All right. So the transition that was last weekend, this coming weekend, like as you listen to this, you may be racing somewhere on the way to the racetrack or certainly uh, glued to 
whether it's live feeds or social media, racing in some form or fashion. And I think it might be fair to say, Big Ched, this might bring the busiest weekend of the season. Um, mid, I, No, there's not like a million dollar race this weekend, but there are, I would call them in this day and age, mid-tier bracket races seemingly all over the country, like 10 granders, 20 granders in some cases, a lot of them. And I don't, I don't want to say this is unprecedented, but I can't think of another time like the NHRA Lucas Oil Series tour this week makes stops in Division One and Division Two and Division Three and Division Four and Division Six. Five of the seven geographic divisions are hosting events this weekend. Five different events, actually six races, because the Division Four event at the Texas Motorplex is a double. So a ton of NHRA content next weekend, in addition to a lot of bracket racing, we're going to have plenty to talk about next episode. But I think with all of that going on, I think it's very fair to say that the headline event, Big Jed, is where you'll be headed. And I think, I'll let you put this into your own words, I think it's one of, if not your single favorite event of the season. Yeah, you know, it definitely is right at the top of the list for me, Luke. I, I, there's there's a few events that I love, but this one's certainly uh, right at the top of that that list of races. And it's, you know, and I've said this for years, other racers getting excited gets me excited. I, I don't, you know, I might not can get there on my own sometimes, but as I see this chatter over it, and over and over and people showing their teams and they're saying, man, I can't wait, you know, and then they're, they're on the road, big wheels rolling, little wheels rolling, and they're posting pictures of where they parked in the pits. And just the excitement around this event is incredible. And that's got me so fired up. And there's certainly a level of pride for, for me and team bad guys. We, we feel like we beat the odds last year and, and got this win and, did something that really no one outside of our team expected us to do. But as I look at the list of racers, Luke, I don't expect us to do it. I mean, how could you just go into an event like this and say, oh, yeah, we got this. You can't. Nobody's doing it. This is. I, don't, I would beg to differ. I see a lot of people doing that. <laughs> well, well, we're talking about top bulb. Uh, and I know there's some people maybe speaking very highly of their team but reality is if you close the door and say tell me the truth you can't look at this talent and say yeah i don't i don't see any problem uh, reaching the final of this thing so this is uh this is an event that has you know and quite frankly you and i can pat ourselves on the back specifically you because the team racing aspect almost really just began right here at the, the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with the whole Allstate thing, and then it turned into this. So this, this does have origins right here, right? Like, yeah. And I, and, I, and I think it's, it's, I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's fair to, for us to take a little bit of credit for it. Obviously, there have been iterations along the way. The, the dream team format as it exists today is not exactly what we dreamt up. But I think we kind of catalyzed this. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm proud of it from that aspect. And just for the listener that, that may be a little bit uninitiated, what's going on uh, at Holly Springs Motorsports Park this weekend is um, three you know, 
typical individual events, I believe, right? Uh, both for top bulb and bottom bulb. But I think the draw and, and to your earlier point, what makes this event unique and what everyone's talking about is the team competition. Uh, 32 top bulb teams, 16 top bulb teams. 32. 32 top bulb teams, five team members each running off in a single elimination format, best team wins. And to your point, I think what makes this fun is the, 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 the call out aspect of it. Like, and, and the, uh, there's just more chatter. <laughs> I think it's easier if you're part of a team of five, like you don't want to call somebody out in an individual competition because you're the only one that can then look stupid. If you got a team backing you up, be like, oh, yeah, you sons of bitches right there. We want you. You know what I mean? And just let everybody hear it because, you know, like you got a posse around you. I, I think that that's what enables this. And, and, and to some extent, like that makes it fun, right? Oh, it definitely makes it fun. And, and you know, I think even someone that calls another team out understands the difficulty. They're not they're not trying to call out an easy target. They're just trying to heighten the excitement and bring attention to what's already pegging the cool meter. So uh, I've only seen one call out on top bulb teams thus far. Like there could be something happening at the race, but well, I've only seen mean, one call out. Yeah. Well, we got to get to that. I just mean in general, like post from a team, like we can't be beat. Look at these bad boys. Right. Well, like there's kind of 32 teams of bad boys. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm looking at the list right now and this it's, it's not, there's no one that I would say I feel better about racing than any other team. You know, there, there's some, there's some freaking legends in here, but when you look at the team aspect, everyone's solid top to bottom, very solid. So this is uh, this is one of those that can go any which way uh, possible and, that's what makes it so freaking fun. And it, you know, the, the whole world's going to be watching people want to see this play out and team bad guys, you know, are, are the defending champs. So I'm, I'm honored to be a part of that team again this year. And I can't wait to, to roll up there and stage against somebody, you know, Luke last year on our, on our journey to the championship, you know, there were two rounds where, the other team got to pick who runs who first. And I'll be honest, I don't, I want to mention those teams, but I was picked. The other team chose me to race one of their, so I want this guy to run Jed first. And, you know, that's, that's freaking a little bit getting him a crawl a little bit there. I mean, let's just be honest here. And that happened to me twice last year. Sure. And there were five rounds. Let's get this easy win out the way. There were five rounds of Dream Team last year, and Big Jed went five and zero. Oh. So, um, you know that's and that's cool stuff. It really is. I wasn't upset. I wasn't mad about it. But I thought, I mean, that, there's a reason they're doing that. Well, and it's gotta add a like I've been a part of this a couple of times with, with zero success, right? So you're so you're way up on me there. But I feel like it adds a a a a level of meaning or accomplishment to see the wind light come on when it's not just for you. Like, you know, you got four other guys depending on you. You better believe it. Right. You better believe it. Yeah. Cause you, you know, it's, we let ourselves down all the time in the car, but letting your teammates down cause they picked you 
because they thought you a win. And when you don't do that, it is very disappointing. At least I think it is because I went five and zero last year. So I really, I saw a lot of people disappointed. <laughs> Boy, that was, that was rough. I shouldn't have said that because uh, we, we're going to talk call out stuff in a little bit, but I'm, I'm glad was, you it did. was fun. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about this. This is your stage, Big Jed. Tell me a little bit about our defending top ball dream team champions. Well, our team changed a little bit. So last year we, uh, we had, uh, Tyler Roach on our team and, um, well, you know what, he's still showing, but, uh, that's not, that's not a hundred percent accurate. So unless something changed and I don't know about it, my, it's got me as the team captain. So man, you call me embarrassed right now, but you should it, probably know. Yeah. It looks like our, our guy, our, our man, Christopher Martin, must not be coming. But let me switch over to the bottom bulb. Okay, Christopher might have just backed out on the top. He might have put Roach back in and just told us to go back the, the team we had. But so last year it was myself. It was uh, Sasquatch, uh, Dwayne Martin. Uh, he is a living, breathing Bigfoot. Uh, it is Larry Stacker Martin. Uh, also known as uh, Snuffleupagus, Chirbalupagus, a lot of nicknames for, for Larry that his, his close friends call him Ego. Um, Rick Noss, which is Nick Ross uh, in the Monza. And it looks like, <laughs> based, based on what I'm reading online on our sheet here, that we got Tyler Roach, which is uh, the, our lone dragster guy. Uh, that uh, comes from Arkansas. So Christopher must have backed out and put Tyler Roach back in the, the mix here. But um, we, uh, we're a hot mess is what we are, Luke, a real hot mess. I, my car has been absolutely terrible this year. Um, I have, uh, I've struggled mightily. I made some wholesale changes last week and went back to an old setup that I have, and it was ridiculous. My car was amazing. And I drove well, so I'm going in this thing confident, ready to go. Dwayne Martin, he he's the fastest stager in racing, and he is going to get up there and stage fast and kick somebody right oh, in well, the like faster than Ricky Jones. Oh yeah, yeah, he beat Ricky to the starting line anytime. Wow. Uh, Dwayne. Okay. Yeah, Dwayne, Dwayne don't mess around. He's open face helmet, and he's uh, he's doing his thing. This guy's intimidating, to say the least. Larry uh, was going five. 40s last year with his small block and his beautiful 67 Camaro and it was as nasty as a car can get it was incredible so why not completely do away with that setup and now he's going 490s with a 632 um, and he's had one whole week of racing on that combination and that was Saturday night really so yeah Larry's ready Nick I'm going to have to show Nick where the trans brake button is. I'm going to say, this is how you burn out. And this is where the trans brake button is. As soon as a tree comes on, you let go of it. Because uh, Nick's been playing, you know, he's been coaching baseball with his boys. He, he's raced one time this year, and that was at Montgomery's first points race. And he did win it. It took him two days to do it, but he did win it. So Nick's that good. And then looks like we got Tyler Roach and the dragster. And I don't even know when's the last time he cranked his dragster because he lives in Arkansas and there's not a whole lot of racing to do there. So uh, Memphis shut down. Tyler might not know where some of the buttons are and what they do either. So team bad guys is coming in on crutches, brother. 
And uh, we, if we pull this off, we will shock the world. You couldn't set it up much better. I, I like the storyline that you've you've developed for yourself. I don't know how true any of it is, but okay. Very. You you mentioned earlier <clears throat> that, to your knowledge, there has been one specific outright call out to date. Uh, why do I get the feeling that you're familiar with this? Uh, I'm familiar with it because Team Bad Guys got a call out, Luke. We got a call out from Team Colby Walker. And uh, Colby is the son of one of the best bottom bulb racers in the country and in footbreak history, Lucas Walker. So uh, Colby, Colby is, uh, has put his team together and he's, he's basically said, okay, boys, we want to race not the best, but the defending champions. So uh, his team has called out team bad guys. And I, you know, I'm, I'm still don't know some stuff. I don't know. Like, do they put us right up front? Do they just take this call out and, and throw us right to the front of the line or what they do? But, uh, nonetheless, we will have a predetermined matchup with team Colby Walker in, uh, in round number one. So that's, you know, and that's pretty cool. It's actually pretty good stuff that, you know, they did it all in fun, but why not? Why not call out the defending champions? And especially if they've watched this race any lately. I love it. I think, can we go through, there's a top bulb dream team, a bottom bulb dream team. I don't know how deep you want to get into junior dragsters. There's a junior dragster dream team as well. Can we go through, we've got the rosters in front of us. Thanks producer Mark. Can we, can we pick like a on paper favorite for each class and then maybe make a, a personal pick that may or may not be that favorite team? Uh, most definitely, there's uh, there's there's definitely uh, on paper favorites in both categories, top and bottom bulb. That's clear cut, no chance anybody could beat them. That you know they should win it. Okay, and that's a lot of pressure on somebody. But yeah, we can definitely do that. Yeah, I think like when I look through the top bulb roster, there's there's two that stand out. Um, it would be hard to bet against Team Richardson. That's Blake, Ryan, and Edmund Richardson, along with Adam Davis and Brad Plord, that's stacked. And yet, I don't think it's the on-paper favorite. I think the on-paper favorite has to be Troy Williams, Gary Williams, Donovan Williams, Ryan Harum, Gage Birch. Yikes. Yeah, you nailed it. And certainly Team Richardson would be, uh, you know, if you got 1A and 1B there. But, uh, but that, I mean, my goodness, look at what that team has accomplished uh, not just in history, but, you know, recently, I mean, this is, that's impressive, super impressive. Troy Williams team is, is going to be very hard to handle, but you know, Luke, there's a, the, the bottom bulb on the Christmas tree is red. And if there's one <laughs> team, if there's one team in this thing that is the most aggressive on, on top of, or in addition to being the most talented, it is that team. So, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me a couple of, just a little bit early let goes and, you know, they're eliminated. So, you know, that's what makes, again, this, this event so much fun. 
that's the setup right there. I love what Big Jed's doing here because I can see it now. It's a it's a semifinal matchup between Team Bad Guys and Team Williams. And if any of that group listens to this podcast, Jed just got himself another three thousandths. That's what they're putting in. You just added three thousandths times five to the packages of that team in your matchup. Pretty impressive. I hope so. I hope so. We will need it. All right, so are you going to go with the the sentimental pick? Are you going team bad guys? Obviously, you've got a lot of confidence there. Like, w- w- if you've got to pick one team, where are you going? Honestly, yeah. I mean, I have to pick my team. It'd be silly for me to to say I think another team's going to beat us because when we're at our best, and I think we showed that last year, and I'm, that's not being braggadocious by any means. Um, you know, we had a we had oh, a man. round. It's just facts. We had a round last year. I don't know if you remember this, Luke, but we had a round where our worst package. I mean, our our total package between the five of us was like fifty one or something. I don't remember, but it was ridiculous. Like our total packages added up for the five of us. So when we're at our best, yeah, I can do that can, all by myself. <laughs> I don't need four teammates to lay down 50 total. We can compete with any of these teams. Now, if I if I'm going to get outside of us, the the smart pick would be team Troy Williams, but team Richardson is ridiculously talented and they don't give a crap. These guys, these guys don't care who they line up with. Their strategy doesn't change. They are going to go out and make their runs, and they are going to be extremely hard to handle for sure. Yeah, I <clears throat> chalk is obviously, I, I think, fair to say one of those two teams. I, I just it never goes chalk, right? So never. I'm gonna. I, I was tempted to go like complete Homer local flavor here because there is a team from my neck of the woods that Scott Cook, the McKaggy brothers. Jason Grahams, Tom, Barber- Tom Barbero. That's not a bunch of household names. Like that's going to be a force to be reckoned with. That that team could win. I was tempted to go there, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little bit further down the list that we're looking at here. I like where'd they go? Yeah, I, give me this Justin Albritton team. Justin Albritton, Alan Wickle, Billy Fuller Jr., Tracy Guffey, Travis Barnett. That's my pick. Lock it in. That's a really good pick. I looked at that team earlier and I, I didn't didn't realize um who all was on um the wickles group there in his group um so yeah i I think that's a ultra talented team again that will probably uh, make their name well known through this i'm sure they're gonna get their share of win lights good pick if there is a favorite in the top ball group i think we nailed it (laughs) there is an undeniable favorite in the bottom ball group like i'm we joked about this a little bit off air. I don't know exactly how the signup process worked for this, but the first bottom bulb team that I saw announced was the team of Rick Bear, Lucas Walker, Charlie Lockhart, Nick Hastings, and Gage Birch. And I believe this team has, has won this event multiple times. When that rolled out, when that came across the, the Facebook feed, I thought, why on earth would anyone else enter this? Like that, you could make the argument that that is the five best bottom ball racers in the world. You definitely can make that argument. And that group is, it's like racing the same guy over and over and over again. So 
it doesn't matter who you get. You, you've got the same racer in the other lane every time you stage against them. Um, it would be like trying to beat one of these guys three out of five, which is not possible, you know, on paper. So uh, that team did blow the, the competition away last year. Now, Luke, I will say this. I did see them get down two to one. And I think I saw it twice. But I know I saw it at least once. So it is possible. So someone is going to step up and give these guys a run. And they responded extremely well last year. And I think I think I remember Slick Rick being the caboose there where it was two to two. And maybe at least once, maybe twice, and turning on a wind light. But you're talking about, again, one of the best racers on the bottom in the world. So that's uh, that's going to be fun to watch unless – it is in the other lane opposite of team Seth Lancaster where uh, somehow, some way they ran out of options and chose me to participate on their bottom bulb team. <laughs> so I do not want to see, there's nobody really that I want to see in the other lane. Um, but I definitely don't want to see that team at the top of this list. If you had to, to go off of the, the, the on paper favorite, which I think is difficult to do in this situation, but there is a lot of talent in this field, top to bottom. If you were to pick against that complete all-star team, uh, where would you lean? Oh, if I'm going to pick against them, you know, there, there's several obviously really talented teams on this group, but uh, team Kyle Rumley is really stout. Uh, they got Kyle Rumley, Hot Rod Fincham, Slate, which we know can hit the bottom. Wesley Lockhart, which is as good a racer, and I'm not bullcrapping you. This guy is as good a racer as anybody on that top line that we just discussed. Wesley Lockhart is Charlie's brother. This guy's stupid nasty. I mean, stupid nasty. He just doesn't like to travel. He just don't get out much. But where he races... He's a threat every time he goes there. And then uh, the, they've got a racer that they, they don't want uh, discussed. Uh, on the, the in secret their number, weapon. Yeah, in their number five spot. And a talented guy. So I this think Kyle Rumley's team. won every race that has ever, every bottom ball race that has ever been held in South Africa. <laughs> We've never heard of him. He's coming in on a ship. He is the secret weapon. Yeah, yeah, he, he he's definitely uh definitely a great racer. And um that team that team's really good. Uh, they're they're very diverse too. You know, they've got uh, guys that run a little bit of everything, a little bit of every ET. They've got some that make time shot. They've got some that will hold, you know, tell you dial what you want to dial and then I'll dial from that. So um, or let you dial me, you know, they, so that's, you pick, that's a, you pick. What, yeah, what do you yeah. want me to dial? Yeah. That, that group's going to, going to be able to play whatever game or, or take on any strategy that they need to take on. And, and no shortage of good hearted trash talk coming from that group. I mean, Lockhart's going to shut up and do his thing. The rest of them, they ain't no telling what you're going to get. It's a really good point. 
That is a really good point. You, you, you know, you'll be, you can watch it on Motor Mania TV Live, or you might be able to watch it on Hot Rod uh, TV Live. So uh, it'll be, it'll be fun to see that team compete. Um, and there's another team, Daniel Riddle's team, Daniel Riddle, David Bell, Will Jones, Tim Pace, and Todd Berry, really talented group there as well. So um, that's going to be fun. I just, I'm, I'm super jacked about it. Yeah, so I was looking down the list here, and if I was going to to make a pick to uh, to go against the grain, to go against Rick Bear, Lucas Walker, Charlie Lockhart, Nick Hastings, Gage Birch, whew, if I was going to pick a team to go against that, I had three that came to mind. You mentioned two of them, right? That uh, <clears throat> that what did you say? The Daniel Riddle team, right? Yeah, yeah, David Daniel Bell, Riddle, and Kyle Bell, Rumley, yeah, yeah, Tim Pace, yeah. That that's a stacked roster, and then also Rumley's team, right? The third that jumped out to me, and again, this is a little bit of a homerage. This is a little bit further north, but how about that Jimbo Fields team? Jimbo can get it done. You got Josh Green, Josh Lynch, Chris Blair, and arguably the hottest bottom ball racer going today, right now, this minute, Taylor Bowling. That team could be a force to be reckoned with. That's an excellent point, Luke. That, as I look that team over, all that team does is win. And I mean, literally everybody there just gets it done. So that's, uh, that's going to be a team to, to be reckoned with. And what's so fun about this is, you know, there's no pulling in the lanes and, and not running your buddy. I mean, you just, you're, you're victim of the draw. And when they draw two teams out to run one another, they go run one another. And I love how this could end up you know, with two ultra talented teams facing each other in round number one and somebody gets, you know, loaded up early. So that's, uh, that's going to be cool stuff. Let's do this team Williams versus the top bulb field. Oh, I'll take the top bulb field. Yeah. What if, what if we said team Williams and team Richardson versus the top bulb field? I think I still take the field. Would you? I do because that's 30 other teams. And there's so much talent out there. So there's not a team on the top, Luke. That That's would... obviously where I'm going here. Team yeah. Rick Bear versus the field on the bottom. I'll take Team Rick Bear. Me too. And I think that just illustrates the difference between top ball bracing and bottom ball bracing in 2022. And yet, I feel just because we threw that out there, now that I think we've settled it, there is, there's no question it's either Team Williams or Team Richardson that wins top ball because we took the field. And there is no way that Team Rick Bear wins bottom. <laughs> yeah, it. sorry, guys. <laughs> We've sealed their fate. It's over. <laughs> All right. So I'm sure that we'll follow up on this next episode, probably briefly, unless we have a Team Bad Guys repeat, then we're going to talk about it for two hours. Um, so, so, yeah, look forward to that. <laughs> You're damn right we will. <laughs> <laughs> but it is going to be fun to talk about whomever gets the, the final win lights and uh, – and I'm just super jacked about it and can't wait to talk to the listeners about it. But uh, our talking to the listeners is done for the week, uh, Luke. It's, it's all about the dream team race for me now. So, uh, listeners, thank you for listening this far. Look, these lists are, are out there for you to get your hands on. Um, there's still time. This show is going to come out prior to uh, the dream team actually happening and finishing. Look, give us your team. Tell us who's going to win this thing. Our listeners are very educated. You're smart and you, you're good at picking the winners. Go to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page right now. 
and tell us who you think is going to win the dream team. And let's see if you get this right or if you get it wrong, like I probably did. But we want to hear from you about this subject and many, many more. Whatever's on your mind, go right there to the Facebook page and tell us. We'd love to, uh, to have you put that out there for the public to see and start some chatter. Or, you know, if you just want to private message us and stay away from all that, you can do that as well. Producer Mark will snag that right up and let us know what you said. Maybe uh, we, we talk about that uh, sometime on a future show. Luke, it's shout time. And uh, there's got to be some good shouts with all this activity happening. Shouts to them folks. And all them folks driving them folk race cars, folk cars that the folks are, are building, all them folks, they got some, they got some good, then them folks are some good drivers that are going to drive them folk cars and they're going to win some, they're going to win some folk races. All right. So shouts to the folk, shouts to Flavor Flav. Yeah, boy. Shouts to the way you subtly reminded us that you went five and oh last year in the dream team challenge. And <laughs> <That's> then <subtle. laughs> minutes later came back to slow play your team's chances in 2022. Well played, my friend. Yes. Shouts to next week's episode where <sighs> you're headed to the dream team. We will we'll barely discuss it unless, of course, as I mentioned, team bad guys goes back to back. And then we're going to dedicate the show to it. I am headed to a Midwest Junior Series race, the Midwest Junior Series opener in Lyons, Indiana. There is no chance that we will breathe a word of that unless my son wins. And then we will talk about that all episode as well. Can't wait. Uh, definitely a pre-shout out to, uh, to uh, Gare Bear for uh, going and getting it done in the Midwest Junior Series. That's, uh, that's going to be a cool event for you. I know you'll have a good time watching him compete. And the way you talk about his car being pretty good these days, and I know he's pretty good. So I feel like you guys got a good chance. Hope the, the results go your way. Um. We're getting a little bit of uh, a Twitter activity. So, you know, you folks got Bobby Graham. We got, uh, we got we Troy. We verify that we have more than one listener on Twitter. Yes, we got two. Pretty, is it is a really exciting day for the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. <laughs> yeah, so we got some folks tweeting us. Uh, we definitely want to see more, hear more, and, uh, you know, we try to interact with you there as well. So tweet us. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. Again, we'd love to hear from you, and we hope you loved hearing from us this week. We had a great show, good time talking to you, but literally cannot wait until we get to talk to you again next week about more Sportsman Drag Race. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. 
You can dream of that feeling all you want. Or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.